Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. And welcome, everyone, to this uh, ACB panel called Nothing About Us Without Us, Blind Professionals in Audio Description. And uh, I am your host, Chris Snyder. And uh, with me are some absolutely marvelous panelists today. Um, And I am uh, of a mind to let them introduce themselves because I find that when we have those short bios, we don't always say the things that they think are key about themselves. So let me start off with Satana Howry. Hey, I'm Satana, and uh, my pronouns are she, her. I'm a white middle-aged woman, and I'm a voice actor, which means I get to sit in a padded room and uh, talk to myself all day. So I do everything from audio description to medical, technical, scientific narration to the voicemail on hold, please press one kinds of stuff to commercials, video games, you name it, I'll talk about it or that kind of thing. So it's great to be here. Thanks. And Tanya, Tanya Milevich. Thanks, Chris. Hi. So I'm Tanya Milevich. She, hers as well. Um, I'm a, a white, I guess, uh, middle-aged-ish <laughs> in my 30s. And um, I also do voiceover and audio descriptions. I actually did a lot, of, um, a lot of involvement in audio dramas. And so I get to play different characters and put on accents and just be silly in my booth as well. <laughs> and it's a lot of fun. So I'm excited to be here today. We're excited to have all of you. Uh, Thomas Reed. Hey, everybody. Um, and Tanya, you are not middle-aged yet. I just want to let you know that if you're in your 30s. <laughs> so I am a brown-skinned black man with a shaven bald head and a neat beard wearing shades. And I'm seated in my vocal booth in my home in the Poconos. And I am a, I'm the host and producer of Read My Mind Radio. And as part of that podcast, we actually do a lot on audio description under the title Flipping the Script on Audio Description. And I'm also an audio description narrator, consultant, and advocate, and I'm happy to be here with you all today. Marvelous. And Nefertiti Matos Olivera. I can do this. I, I speak Spanish, for goodness sake. Olivares. There we go. Did I do it right? Strange. Hello. Hi. Sorry about that. Hello, everybody. I'm Nefertiti Matos Olivares. I live in New York City, use she, her pronouns. And I think I may be the baby in the group insofar as experience. Um, but I like to now call myself a voice actor who does audio description, the writing, the QCing, and the narrating. And um, I'm having lots and lots of fun, and I'm really, truly honored to be here with so many accomplished folks. Thank you so much. Thank you. Eric Troop is here with us. Hi, my name is Eric. Um, Pronouns are he, him. I'm living in Bend, Oregon, and I have been a description quality specialist for wow 10 years now i can't believe it's been that long i just was thinking and it just struck me that it's been that long um and uh so i i take the scripts and make sure they're uh understandable from the perspective of a blind person so i'm honored to be a part of this and i look forward to everything we're going to accomplish today. Uh, and Rick Boggs. 
Rick Box, <laughs> 59 years old, sitting in my music studio here in Chatsworth, California. The founder, CEO, general manager of Audio Eyes, um, one of the handful of audio description companies that provides a lot of audio description for broadcast television. Uh, I'm a uh, professional uh, audio engineer and, and, uh, and voiceover actor and uh, been doing this description thing since advocacy during the 90s and uh, hiring uh, people with disabilities, a lot of blind folks since 2002 and trying to to do what I can to increase opportunities for employment for blind people, uh, in, particularly in this field, but but uh, anywhere altogether. So it's a pleasure to be uh, included in the panel today. It's good to have you all. As I said, my name is Chris Snyder. My pronouns are he, him. I'm a portly white guy. <laughs> uh, and I am uh, most assuredly middle-aged, I believe. Um, and uh, I'm just uh, sitting at my current workspace. So, um, and I have been a, uh, a voiceover artist, a description quality specialist, an audio engineer, audio producer, sound designer, and a bunch of other crap. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so I am here as your panel moderator, and I'm very glad to be here and very glad to have all of you wonderful blind professionals with us today. Um, so let's get right into it because I think these questions are going to spark a lot of, of uh, talking with uh, with us, with one another, and um, and uh, I think that it is a an important thing to uh, to just jump right in because there are so many of us. We have a uh, a wealth of knowledge and experience to draw upon here today. So I'd like to start with the very basic question, which I'm sure a lot of folks are wondering. Um, because they're trying to figure out how to do it themselves. How did you get into this field? That is an important question. Let's start with the self, uh, self-styled self baby of the group, Nefertiti. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. No pressure. No. Um, <laughs> so I'll say that I've been an avid consumer of audio description for a while, but it wasn't till I found myself pretty burned out um, at my previous career in assistive technology that I decided to defy my fears and professionalize my passions. Um, I would say that thanks in large part to my rock of a partner and leaders like Thomas Reed. Hi, Thomas. Um, I equipped myself with some education, um, networking, and lots of technical help with audio stuff, because that is not my forte, and decided to take the plunge. And it's been one of the best decisions I've ever made. Voice acting in general, but AD specifically, has brought much needed creativity and joy to my work life. So there you go. All right. And Thomas Reed. Hey, so yeah, my entry into, um, I'm sorry, into audio description actually came through podcasting. Um, so I've been doing the podcasting and, and working within audio for several years, uh, probably since, actually, since I became blind in 2004. And um, so, yeah, I was really kind of talking about audio description, critiquing, um, again, highlighting it on the podcast, everything about it that I possibly could. And I became interested in, you know, I saw the possibilities. Um, I've been working with 
scripting my podcast. It is a scripted podcast. It's written. It's a journalistic style. And so as part of that is, is the narration. And, um, you know, so I started developing the tools that I use to, to do that, to do the narration. Um, and so anyway, reaching out to folks within the industry in the beginning, um, I can actually tell you that I was probably very much dissuaded about pursuing this uh, as a as an interest. Um, I thought, in terms of narration, I was told that the the possibilities for doing this were pretty limited. They were dependent on sight. Um, fortunately for me, I did get some who believed in the opportunity, and I will shout out the first person actually who gave me an opportunity to do that um, was a. Uh, access artist named Cheryl Green, a friend and an access artist. And she gave me my first opportunity to do an independent project. And then from there, because of the pandemic, I got more opportunities with Eric from IDC. Um, we kind of started a working process for his group, IDC. I know there were other blind narrators already kind of working within the industry, but specifically at IDC, we kind of worked through the production process and, and started making some more moves. And, and I'm happy to say that because of that, there's a lot more who are working with IDC and who are in the industry. So that's, that's the, the, the quick version of the story there on how I got started. Awesome. Awesome. Tanya. Yeah. So very similar to, to like Nefertiti and, and Thomas, what a lot of it is, I can just echo pretty much the same thing. I, uh, I've been in podcasting for quite a while, about a dozen years, give or take. I started as a hobby and was very heavily in, involved in, in, um, in audio drama and so forth. And then I came across audio description, which I've been consuming my whole life pretty much. So just having the respect for other narrators, I, when I found out that this is a lot of these companies um, have their processes remote, I was very interested in starting to try to break into that as well. So a lot of practice. And like Thomas said, developing the tools for reading scripts, which in my case is an audio teleprompter method, if you will, where I listen to JAWS as I um, use my arrow keys to go down line by line. And then I speak as I'm listening and it works out pretty well. It's just a matter of practice. That's the style that works best for me. But of course, you know, we, we use Braille sometimes, memorization. We all have our, our toolbox, if you will. So I started with recording a couple of different uh, descriptions for Perkins, just very short videos. And then I moved to work with Audio Eyes. Chris and I had a, a really good conversation about process and, and so forth. And I got a few projects there. Then I moved on to IDC as well and worked through that process, which was a little different. And that's that's important to mention briefly is that each company has their own system and yeah. you learn to be adaptable as a talent. Uh, that's, that's the nature of the job. And that's not a bad thing. It just gives you more tools. Yeah. And that's the quick right. version as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right. Speaking of uh, alternate uh, methods, Satana. Hi, I just want to echo everybody's thing about networking. It's a great thing. Um, so I got into description. I was already doing voiceover. And of course, I was a consumer of description and, and interested in being involved in that. So um, I I joined <laughs> I joined the, some of the committees on the audio description project, and I 
uh, took the Audio Description Institute, and the best parts of those things were the people that were involved. Um, one of my first jobs I got from uh, someone who was at the Institute uh, as another student was doing the Washington Monument. Um, and then uh, Rick Boggs and I have known each other for a while. So at some point he figured out that I was involved in voiceover. I don't, I don't, I didn't reach out to Rick. I don't know why I didn't think of it, but uh, then I went out and hung out in California for a couple of weeks with him and Chris and did some work. I thought I might be interested in mixing uh, description as well. So I did a bunch of work learning pro tools and that kind of stuff and got my own pro tool system and that kind of thing. Um, and from there, it's kind of snowballed. I've done description for AudioWise, for Bridge Multimedia, for IDC, for Point360. I've done audio description uh, for a lot of just independent companies that have done it in an educational or corporate or government space. It is a piece of what I do. It's a relatively small piece of what I do, but it's an important piece of what I do. And 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 you tend to use Braille for your for your. Oh yeah, it's all Braille, mm-hmm. all Braille all the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so um, yeah, to, the, the, there are the methods are so different for everyone, um, and everybody's got their own particular uh, way of doing it, and then they have to conform that to whatever the company does. Rick Boggs, tell us of your long and storied history and description. Let's try to. It's a little bit uh, different. Uh, I um, let's see how do I make it really short here. Uh, I put a lot of effort into advocacy for accessibility to digital audio because I was a professional analog audio engineer producing music in the eighties and early nineties, and I saw everything switching to digital, and I didn't want blind myself or any other blind engineer to be locked out of the of career possibilities by the conversion to digital. And I spent a few years of some pretty interesting uh, advocacy work that resulted in Pro Tools, the the sort of global standard for professional audio becoming accessible. Um, but I was still doing music at that time, and and but I was a again avid consumer of description, and um, I I happened to be pretty visible on television at the time in on camera acting work, and so I was recruited by WGBH to do some publicity uh, and some focus group work as they were installing audio description uh, equipment in movie theaters. And I would go to the theater and review the work and so on and so forth through my, um, that was all during the nineties. And uh, finally a friend of mine who was in the captioning business uh, who came to my studio, uh, we were hanging out one day and he said, I don't get it, Rick, you're promoting this and you love this stuff, but, and you have all the tools and the skills to be able to produce it. Why don't you? And I, my answer was quite honest. I said, cause I never thought of that. So um, in 2002, uh, uh, Jack Patterson and I put together a, a plan for uh, a business plan to get into the, the audio description space. And I knew I would be committed at that point to um, hiring people with disabilities. As a matter of fact, for two years, um, I practiced reverse discrimination and I wouldn't hire anybody that was able-bodied. So I employed uh, seven different blind voiceover artists and five other uh, voiceover artists with disabilities that did all the work. And um, we originally were called WeCTV. And, um, oh, I, um, I would, because of my work with Pro Tools, I got a lot of calls from around the country of blind people wanting to learn to use Pro Tools and to be audio engineers. One of those young gentlemen was a very young man named Chris Snyder. 
um, <laughs> who was ambitious and intelligent and talented and loved audio and had done all kinds of stuff with a lot of low tech solutions um, and moved his entire life to Los Angeles to come work with me and became the first uh, blind employee that I had. And we together made a, you know, took it upon ourselves and uh, with, with uh, some significant support from Slough Hallettin in New York, uh, absolutely premier blind audio engineer um, and began um, recruiting and training and hiring other blind people, both as audio engineers, as well as uh, voiceover artists. And we were committed to that. I basically dared people on our website online to do the same thing. Um, And I'm very proud that we did receive a lot of recognition nationally and statewide for inclusive employment practices. And while I regret that it took, you know, 15 or more years before any other company hired anybody that was blind um, for audio description, at least now it's happening. And the fact that we can have a panel such as uh, has been put together today is very, very gratifying and satisfying to me. And I'm, you know, hats off to IDC in particular, uh, but everyone that's uh, opened up and allowed blind people to get into this field, because I, I think the integrity of the finished work is can only be testified to by how many blind people are involved. So that's, that's my story. Very, that's very true. Um, and, and, you know, and, <clears throat> and, uh, and we have Eric. We do. And I sort of fell into this in a way, uh, <laughs> although I fell into it by being proactive. So I guess I really yeah, jumped push. into it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I uh, found it, it's all thanks to, to Rick, actually. I first just, I've been, listening to audio description for quite some time in the old video tape DVS days. And I got this movie on DVD called daredevil in 2003. And it had a descriptive audio track, which was pretty much not the norm in that at that time. And I was listening to it and it turned out I, I was familiar with Rick from his air touch cellular commercials. Uh, and it mentioned his name. At the, he mentioned his name at the end and said, if you're interested, paraphrasing, but if you're interested, uh, contact WeCTV and it gave a website. So I said, well, heck, heck yeah, I'm interested. So I got on the web and I started taking classes back in 2003. And I, I forget why that stopped, but it did. And time went by and I kind of just, I, I liked what I had learned, but it hadn't really led to anything. And I was just looking at this newsletter I get that I sporadically read called Top Tech Tidbits. And this was now fast forward to 2012. And I I just happened to see a thing about a training seminar that was being held in Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, so I did what I needed to do to get to apply. As I was training with with my new guide dog at the time, I Mm -hmm. was at night filling out this application and getting doing the training exercises and and things like that. And so I went after that to uh, to the seminar and learned how to do the descriptive quality work. And I've been doing it ever since. So, um, and, 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 and from the varied answers here today uh, about all of this, you can see that we all came to it in different places. I, as Rick mentioned, was, um, um, I fell into it with audio, uh, with um, WCTV. <laughs> um uh, because I wanted uh, to work with Pro Tools and become an audio engineer, my original uh, desire was to be a sound designer. And um, but I, I just you know the idea of working with another blind en- engineer who had 
not only made the whole thing accessible in the first place, but also um, had all these these tips and and tricks and um, and we just we just got along very well. And so, um, you know, I I went out to Los Angeles and um, uh, we started. I started as an intern with when he was still doing music uh, when Rick was still doing music and um, sort of graduated into <laughs> into audio description and. Um, and at some point or another, uh, we were we were getting to do the wonderful world of Disney, and um, and Toy Story came up, and Rick said, "You know, you have a friendly voice that would appeal to kids. Why don't you narrate Toy Story?" And I was like, "Really? Uh, okay, well, I'll give it a shot." And and that's where I got into voiceover, and um, and then you know, being able to sit there and and engineer and direct voice talent and learning. Um, as we went through the process, uh, learning by doing is is how I learn best. And um, j- learning how what what is good description. Our our QC sessions with our writers that lasted hours with feedback, lots and lots of feedback. And um, and our um, what makes good voiceover in 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 description in the time per- in the um, given the tone of the movie or the television show. Um, I, I learned so much by by being a part of a company like WeCTV and then Audiowise, um, because it was it was a it was kind of a throw you in the deep end kind of process a little bit because you know it was um, especially in the early two thousands it was the wild west and we we really um, I feel like we we really pioneered some stuff and I'm um, a very pleased to have been a part of that and to have learned so much um, within that process. Um, so this leads me speaking of process to the next question. Uh, everybody here um, has uh, varying expertise in terms of um, some are voiceover artists. And I think, of the the vast majority of us are, but we also we also have uh, a description writer among us. We have uh, QC experts among us, and we have audio engineers among us. So, I would really like each when I ask you this question, I would really like each of you to um, to kind of consider if you have other skills in for audio description other than voicing. Uh, I'd like you to tell me about that and. Um, uh, I'd like to actually start with Eric to kick that off, if you don't mind. What is your process? What, what, how do you do what you do? Uh, it depends on whether I'm doing it as part of a group or if I'm doing it as a solo act. Uh, if it's a solo act, then I get a script and I go through it with my screen reader and I check for redundancies, things that, uh, just red flag me like, uh, oh, that, like things that might be context sensitive when I'm watching the movie, but when looked at by themselves, make me think, wait, what is that actually trying to say? Mm-hmm. And after I've gone down that through that process, then I, I correct anything that's obvious at the time, like typos and stuff like that. But that's not really, well, it is part of the piece. It is. Nope. <laughs> so, so I get that done, and then I watch the movie, and I read the script along with the movie as it's playing, and I look for things that, as someone who's been blind since birth, things that might not make sense to me, that uh, 
Um, I want to use a specific, but I don't think I should, so I won't. Um, Things that don't don't conjure the right images, or that or that feel like they're they're off in or some way. Things that someone who can see it describes in a certain way that makes perfect sense from their vantage point. But when I hear that description, I think I don't know what that means. Yeah. Um, and so I will either contact the writer or uh, I will ask my roommate to look at the screen and let me give me some feedback so I can uh, decide how to best reword it um, so that it makes sense reword to me. It. Yeah. And speaking of that, you, you feel, I, I would imagine that you feel that having a, a good command of English and a good vocabulary and a good uh, a sense of, of, of flow in language is important. Yeah. Yes, I think it is. I also myself, even though I do the solo thing, I prefer the group work because I'm a collaborator collaborator at heart and I love getting uh, these things that will come up and we bounce ideas around until we find one that, that works. And I think the, having the flexibility to, and the openness and the creativity to, to work with that is also important. And just to clarify, when you say group work so that people understand, we're talking about a, a live QC session with the writer uh, and, and, and a visual SQ person as well as, as, well as yourself? Uh, yes, and just because we're starting to throw acronyms around, a QC would be quality control and SQ would be script quality. Um, I don't know. <laughs> and description. So, um, but my point being, yeah, okay, so you have, so, so the live sessions with, that you can interact with the writer and the other professionals creating the script is, is your favorite. It's my favorite. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, Rick, let's talk to you about your process. All right. I, um, I do voiceover work. I do uh, QC work, uh, record audio, uh, you know, uh, as a recording engineer, record voiceover artists. Um, I've never been much of an editor, uh, and, but I also mix um, uh, programs as well. Um, I do a lot of training of staff and management of staff these days. Um, the um, you know at WCTV in two thousand two, when we had a team that had a significant uh, representation of of people that were uh, blind. And, and people with, with various disabilities. Um, I, I'd have to say, you know, we were, I like Chris, the way Chris put it, you know, it's wild West and pioneers. I mean, we were trying to figure out how do you best do this? And, you know, if you go ask, I mean, to go back to what Tom Reed said earlier, if you go ask other people, they're going to tell you basically you can't do it or you're going to be slow or it's going to be, you know, they're going to give you the negatives. So we had to sit there and figure out how to do it. And we, we did have a mind for um, that. We, we wanted to make this something that we could teach and something that we, where we could demonstrate, Hey, this is a, a possible career for people. Um, so the process for me, I've worked Braille. I don't really like, I use speech if I have to, but I prefer scripts and Braille. I use a Braille, a refreshable Braille device. I actually, in the early days I used paper and I pref still prefer it because I could read two separate lines at a time. Um, so we, you know, had a Braille embosser to do the scripts and uh, now it's all, all refreshable. I've gotten good at reading a 20 cell display. Uh, it, it's hard to keep up the speed when you've got a, you know, 20 characters to read from and you got to scroll while you're talking. But if you practice, you know, you might be able to get good at it. Uh, I was 
amazed to see Chris try everything in the world um, and, and be able to do the ear prompter thing. I've, I don't think I've ever actually done that uh, for any jobs. Um, so as a voice artist, I'm reading. As an audio engineer, there's, you know, that's a whole book in itself of how a blind person runs the audio software and does all that. And I couldn't possibly get into that, but it's basically speech driven. Um, and um, uh, I'm not too sure what, you know, what other process there would need to be. I just think that efficiency and, and I think here's the important thing I would say, however you do what you do as a blind person, we can't compare ourselves to other blind people and say, I'm a pretty good audio engineer to compare to other blind people. We have to compare ourselves to professional audio engineers or voice of artists who aren't, who don't have a disability. Um, I hear sometimes, sometimes I'm dismayed. I hear work by blind people that are promoting that they can do audio work and they're blind, but I find that, you know, it's always disappointing. I'm not saying it happens the majority of the time, but when, when a blind person puts out subpar work and they're advertising that blind people can do this work, it's, it, it, it pains me. It's like, oh, we've been working so hard to show the quality work that blind people can do. But of course, you know, not everybody's gonna, going to be at the top of the game. So to me, whatever the process is, I think we all have to continue to try to find out how it can be done better and how it can be done in multiple different ways for people who, who, um, who function you know, and process information differently. Uh, so I, I think that's the real key. And, and we, we, we did create the live QC process, the team that they described, as well as the, the solo QC process. And I, both have strengths and weaknesses, and we choose when to do that based on other factors. But that's, that's the best I can do in a short amount of time. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Satana. Um, my process is I'm primarily a voice actor in description. I have done uh, script quality. I've done some mixing. I certainly have done editing, but the primary thing I do is is voice the description. So uh, I tend to use Braille all the time. I've worked with 20-cell Braille displays. I much, much prefer a 32-cell. That's my favorite size. I can deal with a 40, and 40s are great. I like 40s for auditioning, but for real uh, real script reading. I'm, I'm a 32 cell fan. Um, so the, my process really differs depending on the company I'm working for. You know, sometimes I'm being directed, uh, via a a directed session where, uh, an engineer slash producer is there, they're doing the recording on their side and I just get to read. And isn't it wonderful? And, uh, there's a producer in the room that's generally quiet. That's giving notes to the engineer. They're not quiet. They're just muted. I don't hear them unless they need me to read something quicker or do read a line differently or something like that. Um, a lot of times I get the media and I'm doing all of that recording and placing on my own. And when I say placing, what I mean is the scripts have time codes in them. And so you're actually slotting the description in the spaces within the media where it belongs. Now, technically. That is not something a voice actor should be doing. And there are a number of sighted voice actors who are like, I'm not touching that. If you want me to do description that way, the answer is no. Um, so, you know, the, there, is, there is that to contend with. Um, so my process involves everything from Reaper, uh, which is a digital audio workstation, multi-track recording audio workstation. There is... Um, Excel, there could be Excel, there could be Microsoft Word, there could be, you know, any number of things that I'm going to use to do that work. I generally tend to take my scripts off of the computer and put them on to my note taker. So right now in front of me, I have a Braille Sense U2. 
Uh, I have other displays. Oh, there are so many Braille displays around. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of my process. Cool. Uh, Thomas. So my process is very similar to everything that was mentioned. Um, so I'll, I'll, I don't know if I can add much to that. That would be helpful. Um, very similar to Satorna, I use Reaper. Um, I, yes, I've done mixing. I also have to occasionally lay them out, um, on the timeline, lay, lay the narration out on the timeline, but yes, I've done mixing, editing, all of, all of the above. Um, I think the, the, Chris, you asked the other part of that question was what else do you sort of do within there? And, and one of the things that I think the value that I, I bring, um, is I, I tend to like, and this is part of the podcast where I like to think about and speak critically about audio description. Um, and so, so things about, um, Rick, Rick mentioned employment, um, talking about employment, talking about audio description as a, as a tool that I see as empowering for the blind community. Um, and, and thinking about the ways that we can address, um, things through audio description, right? Talking about representation through audio description. And again, looking at it critically and saying, Hey, this is for everyone that we all need to be involved. So all the intersections that blindness touches, whether that's race, gender, all ethnicities, all of that. Um, I like to think about that. And I also like to say audio description is more than entertainment. And, and that's what I mean by that. So um, I like to bring that, that sort of the, the conversation to audio description. But in terms of my process, you know, I'm not going to change that much to what everyone else said. You know, maybe some little tiny specifics, but, you know. Nobody really cares about that. <laughs> so there you, there you go. Your point about advocacy is is very well taken, and I think I, I would I would venture to say that um, <clears throat> that that we all need to be not only blind audio description professionals, um, but also advocates for not only for audio description itself, but for blind professionals in the industry. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think. Um, when it comes down to blindness, when it comes down to disability, I think that ends up being the case. Like we, we always have to have a portion of what we do is going to be advocacy. Um, but then again, at the same time, I want to say that if you do just want to get into it without the advocacy, that should also be your choice. Right. Um, I think that like sort of what Rick was saying, like, you know, it's, it should be, you know, audio description. When we talk about the advocacy, it's, it's all on our backs as, as the blind community. Um, but it doesn't have to be, I just choose to want to do that. And I like that, but at some point, yeah, you're going to have to be an advocate for yourself. Absolutely. To just try to make it your way into the business. You're going to have to advocate for yourself, uh, at the very least. So, yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. Uh, Tanya. So I, I agree Thomas wholeheartedly. I don't want to <laughs> repeat the same, the same info that great info that was already touched on. My process is very similar to Satana and Thomas and of course the screen reader method, but <laughs> barring that, you know, the being directed versus working solo versus uh, placing the audio where it needs to go based on timestamps or what have you, based on you listening to it, getting the timestamp yourself and then putting the audio in. That's all pretty similar, but I'll go off of this advocacy line because I feel that way too. I feel like it's very important to try to get more companies out there to give us a chance as professionals 
and allow us into the process, whatever side of the process that may be. Like I've done a little bit of um, the, the script quality control um, just on, on a minor level. So I can't really speak to that all that much, but it's very important that we're involved every step of the way to me. And one of the ways that, that I'm doing that, trying to work with more companies is a huge, a huge part of it is networking, asking folks what their experiences were with various companies. If uh, there's a chance that they're interested in having a conversation and then also finding new companies to bring demos to the table, previous demos to try to get them to listen and, and break into more, more, because if we keep chipping away at it, we'll get there. Uh, just persistence and quality uh, is all we really need. Persistence, so, quality. Yeah. I, that's brilliant. Um, and, and your point about a demo is well made. Um, I think, uh, I think every blind professional um, who wants to be a voiceover artist or frankly, an engineer um, should, should take the time and create a demo of what you can do so that people can see it because there are sighted folks out there who uh, they, they're just not going to believe it. They I've, I've literally had somebody go in, in a split second from glowing about my resume, about all the, the awards and the la, 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 all of that stuff. And then the second they found out, I said, would you please send me an electronic copy of the script? Why would you need that? She says, because I need uh, to be able to read it on a braille display. You are blind. Well, there's no possible way you could do this work. I've been doing it for 20 years, but apparently she just shut down. So uh, sometimes sometimes having that proof available can be helpful. But if they're that closed-minded, oftentimes you just have to move on. Um, yeah, but uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> um, Nefertiti, I've, uh, I've saved you for last because I find what I, I'm hoping that you will talk with us a little bit about your, your process for writing in particular, um, because I find that uh, fascinating. I did a, a brief um, writing. I wrote a, I wrote a description um, an, a, an episode of a show that I love with audio description and uh and it was it was fun and it was challenging and I'd love to hear about your process for doing that kind of thing. Sure. Well, I will start by just offering a little bit of image description. I've been nodding my head so much <laughs> <laughs> because of everything everyone has said before me so so accurately and eloquently. Um, but yeah, uh, so I'm Latina and I am a bilingual Latina. My first language is Spanish, actually, and so. For me, it is a, a particular point of pride to have more Spanish language content be accessible as somebody who didn't really grow up and is still growing without much of it. So my process is working in two languages, working with a Braille display, a 40 Satana, but also hard copy <laughs> like Rick. I love hard copy Braille. Oh, my gosh. There's nothing yeah. like it. Um, and a screen reader, of course. I, I love being able to listen and, and compute and emote. And, you know, like I find that challenging and rewarding. Um, but yeah, when it comes to writing or QC, again, quality control, I keep a dictionary and thesaurus handy. Um, and I read every line to ensure that it flows and that it makes sense. And most importantly, as a blind audio description writer, I make sure to employ 
a trusted sighted assistant. That's what it comes down to. Um, I work a lot with my sister, who's very good about giving me just like bare bones stuff. And then I will flesh out what's going on with some probing questions um, and craft my script that way. That's, that's what it comes down to. It's, it's, um, you know, we could have a whole time talking just about that process, but that, that's the nitty gritty of it. Have a trusted sighted assistant who isn't going to do the work for you, but is going to inform you on things that you can then expound on, write your beautiful script and, uh, yeah, be a person that, that writes description while blind. It, it can happen. It, it does it, happen. It can indeed. And I really, um, I think that, that your point is an excellent one because a lot of sighted folks out there will be saying to themselves, well, then the, the assistant's really doing the job, you know. No. They're not. They're not. Sorry um, to disappoint you, no. Yeah. <laughs> They're not. They are not the writer. <laughs> I like to say sort of in jest, but not really. Um, just because you can string a couple of words together doesn't make you a writer, right? <laughs> just because you can see doesn't mean you can actually describe what you're seeing in a way that makes sense you know, to a blind person within the very small spaces allotted for description, et cetera. Like it takes a lot of skill, excuse me. It takes a lot of skill. So yeah. Take a lot of skill to get just the right phrase in that tiny amount of time that we have to get, to get it, to conjure the right image. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're right. We could go on about that all day because I find it absolutely. (laughs) Um, So, uh, and 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 some of what we've talked about uh, in this question has now uh, brought me to the question of what challenges have you faced in um, in the industry? Um, in and we can talk about you know pick your challenge. We could talk about advocacy. We could talk about uh, getting in the getting your foot in the door. Um, dealing with sighted people's preconceptions about blind people in the industry. Um, uh, I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a whole plethora of things that we can discuss when it comes to challenges to this work. But I suspect that if we can give some folks uh, a little bit of, of uh, a heads up when they start venturing in, maybe they uh, might have a better idea of how to, how to handle it when it comes to them. Um, let's start with Thomas. Sure. So I, I guess the challenge that that I'll start with is is getting in, getting in the door, um, because, as I mentioned in the beginning, unfortunately, I think the there is still some of that way of thinking that would tend to dissuade a blind person from getting involved in, in this industry. Um, I think that's still there. So I think we always going to have to work around that. Um, but I think a, a, an additional problem is, yes, the door has the door is open and, and maybe it's opened a little bit wider to get in. But I don't think it's wide enough. I think there are certain companies who are interested in having blind narrators. But I think the problem now or the challenge now is to get other companies to to make that same sort of uh you know, make make their place of business inviting. Um, you know, the the thing that the thing that we're talking about here, whether it be the writing, whether it be our process, we're talking about accommodations. I mean, to me, that they're accommodations, um, and I don't think they are as I don't think they're as big of a deal. 
<laughs> like, like, you know, whether you're reading it on the screen or you're using Braille or you're using a screen reader, like if you think that that's a big deal, well, I, you know, you, you have some work to do on yourself because that's not that that has nothing to do with the end result. So, you know, that that to me is still a challenge that we're dealing with. I think part of the issue, too, is that it's less it's, mm, you know, it's not in vogue right now to have that stance. And I think there are people who are claiming to not have that stance, but yet their their history and and even their current like, you know, what they do. They might say that they are for blind narrators and they are for blind people being involved in audio description, but I don't think their track record is really saying the same thing. And I think that's one thing that we need to really acknowledge and be careful about. Yes. Um, I'll throw that out there and let you do whatever you want with that. But yeah. I think that's, that's something that we need to think about and consider while we're making our way through this business. Absolutely. And actions speak louder than words. People can talk all day, but if their record and their history and what they're doing right now shows that they are not actually following through on the words they spoke, then the words are meaningless in my yes, opinion. Sir. Yes, yeah. sir. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Tanya. Yeah. I, I just wanted to add something to that, uh, Thomas, and just say that the way that I, I think the way that, that I handle some of personally, I, one thing that, that I think works in an, a general job interview or anything, because this is kind of like a job interview when you're presenting yourself and you're trying to show them that demo and, and the experience that you have and convincing them to give you a shot over somebody else that they could just easily find on voices or whatever. Um, it, it's important to explain your process very casually and say, you know, these tools work perfectly well. I'm happy to try your tool as well, but just wanted to start by saying there are accessible uh, ways to connect easily and, and um, also explaining, and, and this is assuming that they know that you're blind or visually impaired before you start working with them. That That's on that assumption. Um, the other thing to add would be just to say that, yes, I just need the script electronically. That's all. I'll, I'll take care of it from there. That's those are the only um, things in advance I would need. So that that just makes people feel more comfortable in my experience and it, it breaks the ice a little. But then the other thing, I guess, to mention in terms of a challenge, I think, would be um, basically just the audio side of things. When you first start out, I know for me, <laughs> it's been an ongoing learning process of what sound treatment's going to be better, what microphone is better for my voice, for which context, what is a sound engineer going to have to do some EQing on? Like, is it better for me to get a microphone that is going to need less work to make my voice fit into the mix? Or would they prefer that I give them something that they then have to uh, EQ, if you will, they'll, they'll have to match up the frequencies to the rest of the, the program. So knowing what, how to build your toolbox and your setup, that's, that's an initial challenge, but it's something worth doing right from the beginning before you put yourself in the mix and start introducing yourself to, to different uh, companies or jobs or whatever it is, because you know, your setup and you're confident in your setup and your process. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, I'll tell you that as an audio engineer, um, 
<clears throat> my what my philosophy about mixing is to um, make the person the description voiceover artist sound as close in EQ to the people in the program as possible, so that the uh, description is more um, a blended part of the of the of the program. It, it just sounds better to my ear, and it makes me it doesn't take me out of the the program. Whereas if you know somebody just lets the person have a, a booming voice, like say, or or a, a very 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 bright. Um, eq whereas the program is is less so um it can kind of jar you at least in my opinion so i i work really hard to eq yep. um that yeah that's a very good point and uh, i i take your point about about making sure that that you get it right and that you do it as as well as possible anything that you're doing to um hone your craft or to um set yourself up should be done as a um, as well as you possibly can do it. Um, because, um, when in my, in my opinion, um, when blind professionals are, are working in any field, when we make a mistake or we mess up, unfortunately, the reality is that it reflects on all of us and it doesn't just reflect on us to the sighted, to the sighted, um, colleagues or or uh supervisors it reflects on blind people it's not just because we had a bad day or we had a uh you know didn't have our coffee it's because <laughs> it's because um you know it's because we're blind and it's not right it's not fair but it's just reality um in my opinion anyway um and it's what i found throughout my experiences um so Tana. Okay, first of all, I want to give a shout out to Nefertiti for her uh, awesome audio description writing and also to Thomas. If you have not heard his podcast, go now, subscribe. <laughs> Actually, wait till the panel's done and subscribe. The last episode, the flipping the script, there's a line at the end. I know, spoiler alert, but it's just been making me smile for such a long time here. Something about, um, hey, Amazon, I don't want to be experimented on just so <laughs> Jeff Bezos can go to space. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic, right? That's fantastic. Um, yeah. So, um, the reason I bring that up is because honestly, I I don't focus primarily on description in what I do because I think it's exhausting. I think from an advocacy perspective, as blind people, of course, we are always defending our right to be a part of the service. And the latest example of that is having to defend against people who believe that but blind people should not be writing uh-huh. because, well, if a sighted person has to tell you what's going on, you know, and Nefertiti talked about this. And I just want to piggyback on it because I think it's really important that. You know, if you're going to suggest that blind people can't write, you might as well suggest that all the people who are blind that have graduated from college didn't really do the work to get their degrees because they went into a library, potentially with a sighted assistant who pulled books off the shelves and read research source material to them. The research, the question to a sighted assistant, what is going on? And their answer, that's the raw data. So if we think that the raw data is enough for writing audio description, then Joel Snyder can pack it in. He can, he can go home and not teach his audio description institute, right? Because there's nothing to teach. We can change it to the audio description cinnamon challenge. Uh, <laughs> but I think that, you know, we, you don't take a, a, a flour and take a bite of it and take a bite of butter and take a bite of sugar and 
and consider that a cake, you take those ingredients and you synthesize them. So even if you have an assistant explaining stuff, uh, explaining is the wrong word, uh, you know, talking about what's going on on the screen and, and like what, what Nefertiti said, fleshing it out, asking those probing questions, it's still the blind person who's doing the work at the end of the day. And it's frustrating to have to defend that. And I think as a voice actor, for me, the genre, the niche that I'm so attached to is audio description. And I know that if, if I'm a sighted voice talent, I'm significantly less attached to it. So when it comes up and there's 29 words that are supposed to fit into a space that really should be accommodating 10, you know, a sighted voice actor might read all 29 and just leave it to the editors or whatever to fix it or, you know, maybe whatever. It's, it's less of an issue. It's not personal for them. It's personal for me. And my fists are in the air and I'm waving them and it's frustrating. I feel like um, there are times when I don't have a lot of time to finish uh, a script, to finish voicing something, and I'll clean it up to the best of my ability and get it off uh, to the company. And there are other times when I still may not have a lot of time, but I, I find the time to really go through and do some serious uh, rewriting because I, I cannot let the script go out in the form that it is in. It's just, and, and that is not my job. It should not be my job. To me, part of the challenge is that we just have a significant problem with um, managing the quality of the writing that is coming through and uh, even if you've got a good writer, you may have a sighted person who comes in and supervises that script and looks over it and adds things. My daughter writes description, and she and I have had these conversations where she talks about, well, I wrote this and I left this out because you could hear it in the sound design of the show and it didn't need to be said. And when somebody came in and QC'd behind me, th they put it in and it it's frustrating. So. That is the worst. I remember. I yeah. remember. Yeah, there was some Netflix person um, a long time ago um, that that said something like, "The blind people won't know." Yes, we will. Yes, yeah. we will. <laughs> yes, we will. Um, Eric. Uh, well, I haven't had a lot of of uh, challenges in dealing with other companies because I've only really dealt with one. But I did have challenges before finding this uh, this job. Uh, I remember trying to, and I can't even remember what I was trying to do at said bookstore, but I was trying to apply for a job at a bookstore. And I remember the guy telling me, well, I don't think you would fit here because we tried hiring a paraplegic a while back and it didn't work out. Oh I wish God. I had the confidence then that I do now because I would have said something. I just kind of went, oh, okay, thank you. And then I went home and vented. But but uh, anyway, but yeah. I do find in Sorry. No, no, go ahead. Uh, I do find in doing the work that one of the big challenges is the time commitment because when you're doing, whether it's a solo uh, description quality thing or a live QC, uh, it takes a lot of time. On average, uh, I think this is correct. I've just done it. I haven't really thought about it, but I, on average, it's about four times the length of whatever program you're working with. So for a two-hour movie, you can expect eight hours of time dealing with the uh, script and whipping it into shape. I think yeah. it's a little less when it's a solo, uh, but yeah. uh, it's still it's a big time commitment. And there are times when you and 
and and studios have their deadlines and those are not to be messed with and Indeed. sometimes you sometimes you have plans and you're you have to do the thing where you say well you know sorry have to change this because i just found out this is due uh two days before it was supposed to be due so i need to get this as my top priority now sorry girlfriend sorry uh whatever other yep. commitment um <laughs> and that's that's tricky. That's that that requires some juggling from time to time, especially if you're dealing with with um, television in particular. Yes. Um, it, it can eat your life really easily if you let it. Um, it's very important to try really hard to maintain a work life balance in this, or it'll eat you. Uh, Rick, all right. Well, um, two things. I one I want to address, which is tangentially. Uh, related, but it, it's been, there's a thread of, in this conversation I want to contribute to regarding the blind person writing description. Um, I, I love that Nefertiti and others are doing it. Um, I think in doing so, blind professionals in this industry are going to have to realize that society at large, how can I put it this way? Um, society at large, after decades of advocacy, still really don't understand blindness or blind people. They still have, there's still more misconceptions out there than, than really clear understanding of what we do, what we don't do. The fact that we can do what anyone else can do and all that sort of thing. And so I use that as an analogy to say, to expect the audio industry or the film and television industry in particular, which is primary um, uh, sector of our clients. I mean, we deal with educational and nonprofits and corporate and government uh, jobs also, but, you know, 80% of our work is film and television. Um, if you expect Hollywood to really understand what you're talking about when you talk about a blind person writing description and get it, I just want to prepare you that that's, that's going to be a really long road. And unfortunately, um, and I'm getting to what the biggest challenge is here, um, blind people talking about being audio describers and writing description actually contributes, makes worse, the biggest problem that I have um, in in uh, in this business and so i'm not again don't hear everything i said which is i'm glad blind people are writing description i can write description but i got too much else to do and i and i it's enjoyable and i i find in the description quality work that that we do and chris and eric and i and others um satana too uh we you know we we write we rewrite we change the writing of what people done and and in our company by the way the blind person has final authority of the final script no one else the blind person yep. changes what the side of people said. That's it. So we have the authority here. Um, so I, again, I applaud, I embrace and all of that, but I want to ask the blind people that are, um, that are putting writing description as sort of their banner and or upfront activity to please try to distinguish the difference between what I would, and I'm going to suggest terms now, what I would call description writer versus audio describer. If you like different terms, we could argue about the terms, but my point is this that when we say a blind person can write description, the the uneducated, disconnected studio or television executive is going to say, then why are we doing this for you? If you can figure out what's on the screen and tell other blind people, then why then why do we need to pay someone to do this? You guys just figure, why doesn't each of you blind people write your own description and do your own description? Because they don't understand the detail of what Fertiti explained, that you have you can't actually do it on your own. If you can do audio description on your own, if you can see well enough to do it, then you really aren't representing those of us that cannot see well enough to do it on our own. You can't write description if you can't see the screen. If you can, then they do have a legitimate argument to say that audio description is unnecessary. 
If a blind person can tell what's on the screen without someone explaining it to them, then why do we have this law and why are we spending all this money to produce this stuff? It's a legitimate argument, particularly for people that don't understand the details of what Nefertiti explained in terms of what we're doing is we're gathering information from somebody who can see but doesn't have the writing skills, just like she explained. And then because we can write and we understand, you know, we can do it. So yeah, I, we can and we should. But I really think we have to differentiate between a description writer versus an audio describer, as I would call it, um, someone who can see the screen and write the description versus someone who gathers the information from a second person and then writes the description. We really need to make that super clear or we're going to contribute to the resentment that most producers, networks, and mandated entities have about still being forced to do this. And if you don't think that there is a lot of resentment in the industry, I will tell you the only reason you could think that is because you do not encounter the industry on a daily day on a day-to-day basis. Because if you did, you would clearly see what we see and what other and I'm not, you know, I'm not in a bubble here. I have friends that are that run other companies in, in the localization space, lots of them, and we know they resent this stuff. Being man, being told by the government that you have to provide something for blind people or deaf people or whatever else is something they don't like. And yep. so you don't want to accidentally contribute to their to their uh, arguments about why they shouldn't have to do it. So just be aware of that. Um, I would uh, very, maybe a sentence or two also say, we need to differentiate between live description versus pre- pre-written or pre-recorded description, what they call offline description in the industry. It's really, really important because there are people that are pursuing or proclaiming themselves as live describers so that they can do live description you know, on the fly, not scripted. You sit in front of a, sh- a, a show and you describe it on the fly as it happens. Um, and those skills that are required to do that are very different from voiceover skills. And there are a lot of voiceover artists that say, oh, I'm a voiceover artist. I could live describe something. No, you can't. No, you can't. <laughs> Unless you've received extensive training and mentorship, not just you went to a weekend class and now you're a live describer. That's no way. No way. I, show me somebody that's done that and let me see their work because it's not true. Um, yep. And But this is really important right now, you guys, because all this work, there is an ongoing effort uh, to unionize this work. I started that effort in 2004. And I, I spoke to the highlight of my professional career was addressing a full session of the Collective Bargaining Association agreements between the guilds and the producers. And I can't get into all that. But my point is, it's really important to make a distinction between a live describer versus a voiceover artist or a live describer versus a an audio describer who writes pre-recorded audio description versus a blind person who writes description, a description writer, something like this. We need to define terms and help people understand what these terms are. And we already have a huge challenge because still most people don't even know what audio description is and whether it's any good. And now I'm going to get to the biggest challenge I face and I'll try to make it as brief as possible. This is really important, really, really important for all of us to understand. And that is the biggest challenge in this industry for someone producing, you know, dozens of hours of description every week for broadcast film, television, so on and so forth. The biggest challenge is keeping the uneducated opinions of the content owners, the copyright holders, the people who pr- created and produced the media, keeping their uneducated opinions out of my judgment of what is good audio description. In other words, the biggest battles I've had is with on phone calls that have sometimes become quite nasty and offensive speaking with executive producers, network executives, and other people about particular description and them telling me this is not good and this is why and you need to do this or you need to not do that or whatever the case may be. Um, producers writing me a letter after the fact saying, well, you know what? My advice for you is you should be a lot more collaborative with your clients because um, you know it's our vision of this thing and we want to we want the right to display our art the way we want it understood and so on and so forth. Meanwhile, these people are trying to 
force us to write description about what a character is imagining in their mind. She's dribbling down the basketball court. And she, she's uh, visualizing it herself. But there was nothing on the screen to suggest that to any sided person. All they see is a girl dribbling down the court, you know, just as an example. Okay, These producers, directors, network executives, uh, content <clears throat> owners, people that filmmakers that have very strong opinions about how they're, because they believe that audio description is supposed to tell the story. Well, it isn't. It's is supposed to translate what is on the screen that we wouldn't know by listening to the soundtrack alone, as you guys know. And the biggest challenge is, is basically an arm wrestle match between who's the authority and I will be the strongest advocate till my last breath that this industry needs to be accountable to blind people. Blind people, that, look, the service was created for us, so let us say what we need it to be and what we don't need it to be. But there is a true power struggle going on and the more, this, and I knew this would happen and it has. The more description that is done, the more widespread it is and the blind people get all happy because everything's described, the industry itself starts in, in uh, introducing their thoughts, Netflix being one of the, the biggest in this, uh, I would call it an offender actually, in terms of trying to force the description to be what they, they give notes like they do when they're producing a Netflix original show to the producer about what they want the show to be. Well, this is not that. And producers and directors, and all these people, they want to do that. So that's the biggest challenge that we face. And, and that's not going to go away. And blind people need to assert their authority and say, the description is only good if we say it's good. That's right. Yep. I, I, I think you're right. Um, this is an industry that they, it was created by a, by a blind person and, and developed by blind people in the first place. This is our industry. We need to take ownership of it. Um, and we certainly need to be, um, you know, uh, both educated and advocators uh, for this in this space. And we need to have as many high quality uh, audio description professionals as we can have. Um, with that, guys uh, <laughs> and, and uh, gentle beings, um, I am going to have to wrap it up because we are heading. Yeah, we, we have to six minutes and two raised hands. Two raised hands. Well, um, okay. Let's let's try it. Let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Please hey, keep it brief. Um, this is this is not. Uh, we just have to keep these questions as brief as possible. Yes. Hi, this is Michael Byington, and uh, I am a legally blind guy at the top end of legal blindness. I love audio description because I found when I started using it that, I, yes, I really am missing important parts of the action. Understood. At the same time, when I'm using audio description, I quite frequently will see an action on the screen and I'll say, oh, gosh, the describer missed that. That's really important to the plot. That's important to the action that needed to be described. Now, my question is, and I'm not looking for a job myself. I'm an old geezer. I'm semi-retired. But is there a role for a person who has that kind of sort of a double perception uh, in the field of audio description or audio description quality control? Thank yes. you. Now I will answer that question because I can do it pretty briefly. Yes. Um, the answer to your question is yes. And that is why, uh, at least at AudioWise and a couple of other companies, we have a person who will go in who is sighted and look at the script 
from not the writer mind you we'll look at the script and we will uh, and they will go uh, and and compare the script to the screen they will take it in and um and and look at the context and say well no that action comes back later we need to know that that's super important and they will change the script um that's why and some companies don't believe that's necessary they just have somebody write it they have somebody voice it and some of these little uh so-and-sos um, hand it off to a machine which automatically mixes it and that's the, that's what they call description. There are people out there who want to uh, corner the market on the rock bottom prices and drive the costs ever lower um, and eliminate quality completely and it is our job as blind and visually impaired people to advocate for quality in our industry. We must. Otherwise, we're going to get crap and we will continue to get crap because it's cheap. That's. I'm just going to go ahead and answer that question. Sorry, folks. Um, next question. Yeah. Um, yes. Well, well, thank you. I'll, I'll make it quick. Um, uh, first of all, just thank you all so very much for this wonderful panel. It's been, uh, I'm, I'm a sighted audio describer in Pittsburgh. Uh, I do mostly theater, but it, it's been so educational. It's been wonderful, um, insightful uh, in so many ways. So thank you all. <laughs> I, I just had a, a real quick question, uh, particularly for Rick, who was speaking about um, unionizing. Um, in the industry, and as someone who has been a, a unit president and in a union um, in other fields, and believe strongly in union, have a podcast uh, related to labor. I, I strongly believe in it, and I, I was just curious. Uh, maybe we can talk offline, but Rick, if you could address that for a moment, just I'd like to hear more about that, if I could. In fact, um, I'm going to jump in. I, I apologize because we are so low on time. Um, I'd like to have you guys, uh, our panelists, who have been so kind and so generous with their time, if you're willing to give your contact information, uh, Nathan, get, get something to write with, and 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 that that kind of discussion, which will be long, I'm sure, um, can can be done online. Um, let's just go down the list. Satana, how can people reach you? Uh, I'm on social media. Listen, all you got to do is type my name into Google. You'll find me. It's S A T A U. N like November, A, S-A-T-A-U-N-A, type it in a Google, Google search, and I'm right there. That's very handy. I had a name like that. Okay, I do want to give the last C- CEO oh. code. Yep. It's 77506. That's 77506. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Tanya. All right, so I'll give you my email. That's T-A-N, as in Nancy, J-A-631. At gmail.com, T A N J A 631 at gmail.com. Thank you. Excellent. Thomas? Hey, yeah, you can get me at readmymindradio at gmail.com to spell it R E I D like the last name. So read radio at gmail.com. Excellent. Uh, Nefertiti? Hi, yeah. So I'm Nefertiti Matos Olivares, quite a mouthful, but you can find me on Twitter at N-E-F-M-A-T-O-L-I, the first three letters of my three names, on Twitter, at Gmail, and please, if you are on Twitter, consider joining the audio description Twitter community. It's it's booming, y'all. We would love to have you. Yes, 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 yes. Um, uh, Eric? Uh, I can be reached at blindgeek at lioncourt.com. That's blindgeek with no spaces at lion as in king of the jungle court as in legal or tennis.com <laughs> and rich i'm pretty easy to find 
you Google blind actor, I'll show up. If you type Rick Boggs, if you remember my name, you will find the website. Or if you remember the company, Audio Eyes, you can uh, find me there. Rick at AudioEyes.com is, works or Rick at RickBoggs.com. But I'm, it's pretty easy to find me. Excellent. Um, I, I just want to thank everybody. Uh, you can reach me at um, Chris, C-H-R-I-S, at Chris-Snyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R, just like Joel, dot com. That's Chris at Chris-Snyder.com. Um, and I, I, again, I want to thank you, God. We've had a wealth of information, and it has been a truly wonderful panel. Um, thanks, guys. Thank you.